Glad to have you all here. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for watching online. We are uh, in week four of our series on prophecy. And uh, I just want to give a shout out to uh, the band and production. Uh, you may, if you were here at the beginning of worship, you may have just heard that the sound sounded a little bit off. Uh, we had a we have a we had a soundboard failure uh, that we're working through, and uh, so they had to manually repair things on the fly, and so they they crushed it. Thanks, guys, for doing that. You guys are amazing. You may not realize it, but it's really stressful for them when things go wrong. Uh, and so uh, we had a we had a great spirit of worship in the room, and I think that in a big way it's because they they do a good job at leading us there. So, all right, so we are in week four of Prophecy, uh, and we will be wrapping up the series next week. That's my plan. Uh, I do want to say that uh, my slides are not loaded. Okay. Um, we will be wrapping up the series next week. Uh, we have been taking a look at uh, the book of Revelation, uh, tagging that into some of the other texts in the New Testament and Old Testament, looking at some of the prophecies and uh, trying to make heads or tails of what might be coming for us. And uh, as I've said repeatedly, there are a lot of different positions on this text. And what I am trying to do is uh, hopefully present uh, the, the material, maybe in a fresh way, uh, and some, some new perspectives for you. But what I'm not trying to do is anchor down and tell you I've got it all figured out, because I do not have it all figured out. Okay, and anyone who tells you that they've all got it figured out, I just want to tell you that the scripture says that anyone who tells you that they've got it all figured out doesn't have it all figured out. So the person who's got it all figured out, well, they're in the scripture as being the person who doesn't have it all figured out. Am I confusing you yet? Get there, all right? All right, so uh, let's go ahead and stand uh, to our feet for the reading of the word. We're going to be back in Revelation 13 this week, and then uh, next week we'll be moving from here. But we're going to begin here in Revelation 13, verse 1. So John says, And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns, and blasphemous names on its heads. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's, and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. One of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed. And the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast." And they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast. And they worshiped the beast, saying, Who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth, uttering haughty and blasphemous words. And it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them. And authority was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is to be taken captive, to captivity he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb, and it spoke like a dragon. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. It performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in, the in the, and by the signs that is that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. 
And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. Also, it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead so that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark. That is the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom. Let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. Let's pray. Father, we love you, and we are thankful for your word. Uh, Lord, we are thankful for those parts of the text that just so clearly penetrate our hearts. They bring conviction. They bring direction. Lord, we are thankful for those portions of text that, that don't make sense. And Father, today we ask that you would speak to us and help us to gain that wisdom that is needed to understand what it is that is written, what it is that is for us in this generation, in this time we love you and praise you. We ask that you guide us in your mighty name. Amen. You guys can be seated. So today I, uh, we're going to be talking about the Antichrist and the false prophet. So two major players uh, in the last days. Uh, we're going to uh, be begin kind of going verse by verse through this chapter uh, here in verse 1. So it says... And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with ten horns and seven heads, with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its heads. Now, I, I will say that uh, uh, about the imagery that's here, I covered this last week, uh, taking a look at the imagery. And so if you want to kind of go back into that, if you missed that, you can go uh, and look at last week's message online. Uh, but I want to just take a look here at how it uses this language it says, and blasphemous, blasphemous names on its heads. So one of the things that's important for us to understand is that what, whoever these, these kings are that rally around uh, this beast, this, uh, this leader in the last days, whoever they are, they have names. Uh, their names are blasphemous. It means, and, and I think that the, the idea behind this is that there is a reputation that comes with them, right? I think of it in terms of like having a Twitter history, right? We know who they are. We know what they've done. Like somebody somewhere has been recording what they have done. And so when they appear, right, it will not be like, okay, well, who are these people? It will be like, oh, you know, this person has done this and this person has said that. So these kings, as most scholars believe, will be people of reputation on some level. Verse 2, and the beast that I saw was like a leopard. Its feet were like a bear's and its mouth was like a lion's mouth. And to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority. So we know that the dragon, based on the consistency of John's language through here and what we have found in all of Scripture, that the dragon is the enemy. And I, I, I want to reiterate, I've said this many, many times, but it's so important for us to understand. We cannot look at the text when we look at Genesis to Revelation and think that, okay, Satan is the name of this like player. That is not his name. That is a description. And so he has many descriptions. And John does us a, a, a a huge favor at making sure that he lumps those descriptions together. That helps us understand that this, this being, this disembodied spiritual being that has reared its head and, in, and involved itself in humanity off and on throughout the existence of mankind, that this is the same spiritual being, okay, this dragon that we have been having to navigate now for thousands of years. So this dragon is going to give its power, right, to this beast. Now, why would we think that the dragon has power? Well, we do know that the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. We know that the enemy has authority, that the enemy has a group of other uh, spiritual beings. We call them demons uh, that rally around it, that speak with it, that maybe do its bidding. There may be other 
uh, spiritual beings that are even on some level of equality with this dragon. But we know that specifically the picture here is that the dragon embodies and gives its authority and power over to this individual. Why does that matter? Well, he is the, this individual is the Antichrist, right? Okay, so if he is the Antichrist, then he has to look like the Christ, meaning that as Jesus, God in the flesh, shows up on the scene, this could be the imagery of the dragon showing up in the flesh. So, so who is this going to be? Who is this individual that's going to show up? I, I want to tell you, like, my, 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 my granddad fought in World War II, and uh, uh, when I was a, a kid uh, and I would spend the night at his house, uh, I would, when it was bedtime, I would sleep in a room with him and my sister would sleep in a room with my grandmother. And it was just because, you know, my grandparents didn't think it was appropriate for me and my sister to sleep in the same, you know, bed. And so we would divide up. And so my granddad would tell me stories from when he was a kid. And I loved this. Um, one day I asked him about what it meant to be in the military. And uh, he didn't have a lot to say except this. And it just has stuck with me. He said, I knew when we were in, at war, I knew that it was the end. I knew the sky was going to split open and Jesus was going to show up. I knew and, and so did everyone with me that, that Hitler was the Antichrist and that it was on and that this was the end of it all. We were in the apocalypse. And now we're, at that point, 30 years past, and it clearly was not, right? And my granddad said it was just such a, such a, 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 a transition in his mind and in his heart to know that he knew that he was walking into the final battle and then it not be the final battle. And I say that to say this. We have no clue who this king is that comes up and is embodied with the spirit of the dragon. And anyone who tells you, oh, it's this person or it's that person, they are just making up their own little path, right, to make it this person. And, and it's really important for us to understand that it is not our job to identify them of our own accord. We are given direction on how we identify them once they have come to power, right? Let's look at Daniel chapter 9 for just a moment. So verse 26, and after the 62 weeks, an anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. Its end shall come with a flood and to the end there shall be war. Desolations are decreed and he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week and for half of the week he shall put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on the wing of abomination shall come one who makes desolate until the decreed end is poured out on the desolator. So Daniel, right, he has this vision of 70 weeks. Now, we know that these 70 weeks inside of his, his vision are 70 years and he says that at the, at the 62nd year, everything is paused, right? And the anointed one, Israel, is removed. They have nothing. They are brought to a place where they are no longer the great nation, the great people that they were. And that they stay at this place, that this, that this timeline, this vision is paused until this person, right, who is going to come and make peace shows up on the scene, right? An anointed one shall be cut off and shall have nothing. That is Israel. They are disconnected. And then the, look at this, the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city and the sanctuary. So a, a, a kind of a, an idea here is that whoever this beast is, right? This, this player that is embodied by the dragon he will come from a people who will support him, right? So the imagery of like this person who's got like a like secret clubhouse out in the woods and has like five people and all of a sudden it's world domination is not the imagery, right? Okay, there's no secret bunker where they're at. No, they have a, a, a nation. There are a, there are a, there are a people on the, on the planet 
that support and will go to war on his behalf, right? Okay, verse 27, go back to that. And he shall make a strong covenant with many for one week. So there is a war that is taking place, and it's got to be pretty significant at this point that this player who has his own army and brings his own destruction creates a treaty to bring peace for how long? For one week, right? So there is going to be a period of time where uh, the, the, this leader is going to be seen as a peacemaker around the world. Now, listen to what I'm saying. The, the, the language here is war language. It is devastation language. It is not disgruntled employee language, all right? So when we hear about somebody making peace in the Middle East, right, this is not a sign that they're the Antichrist, right? This is what we see. Oh, somebody's trying to bring peace in the Middle East. We, we don't have the type of war that the Scripture is talking about happening right now today in the Middle East. This is a, there is a war that is trying to wipe Israel out. It's an active war. Jerusalem is being besieged, and somebody brings peace, right? So when we have a president of the United States or some other Western leader that's meeting with uh, leaders in the uh, Middle East and talking about peace, right, they are talking about peace before war begins. This leader shows up and leads a peace treaty because there is real concern that this entire region is going to be wiped out. It says that for half of the week he shall put an end to sacrifice and offering. So I, one of the things that people say is, well, you know, the, the, the Israelites, the Jewish people, you know, they don't, they don't even do sacrifices anymore. So, and this is true, but the only reason that the Jews stopped sacrificing animals is because the temple was destroyed. You can make the argument that many Jews today are secularists and would not participate in the um, temple sacrifices, but I'll make a separate argument. I have a good friend uh, that is a missionary in Israel, and I, I won't say his name because being a missionary in Israel is not something that's technically legal to do in Israel, uh, uh, but I'd be happy to introduce you if you ever want to uh, connect with him. And he's telling me that the traditional Jewish portion of the population that hold to the, uh, to, to, to the Old Testament are, are fast outpacing the secular Jews, that every year they take in more and more neighborhoods, more and more territory, and it will not be long until they make up the majority of the government in Israel. Meaning that you will have a traditional-minded Jewish group, right? Remember, they do not accept Jesus as Messiah, but you have a traditional-minded Jewish group in charge probably in the next 10 years. They will be the majority within the government, and it will be their people who are put to be over the nation of Israel. And so, at that point, it is very plausible because they would absolutely go back to participating in animal sacrifice that we see it once again start up. So, who is it that brings a stop to the animal sacrifice? Uh, it will be the Antichrist. And so, I want us to, to track with who these players are as we look at this. So we've got the Antichrist. The Antichrist will be a leader, not just uh, from a military perspective. He'll be well-spoken. He'll be able to lead others, probably even. And when we think about some of the more successful uh, military leaders that we have seen around the world, they are also astute businessmen. Uh, you know, many people argue that uh, Putin in Russia is probably technically the wealthiest man in the world. Uh, I know that we rank Elon Musk as being, but the problem is, is that Putin does not disclose his wealth, right? So he has access to businesses that we don't know a lot about. So uh, what I'm getting at is that this is not necessarily going to have to be somebody who shows up on the scene that's like a wretched homeless man and all of a sudden is empowered with some demonic being and is able to command authority. No, they've probably lived a life uh, that, ha that they have been, that they are well off, 
okay, and that people aspire to be like this individual, right? What does it mean to be the Antichrist? It means to oppose the anointed one. So he opposes the anointed one. Now let's go back to Revelation 13 here. It says, one of its heads seemed to have a mortal wound, but its mortal wound was healed, and the whole earth marveled as they followed the beast. And I'm not going to talk much about the mortal wound because there's been a lot of conversation around that. Basically, the idea suffers a, a mortal wound to the head. Could that be that they're shot, that they're stabbed, whatever it is? They're probably pronounced dead, and then through some miraculous sign, they come back to life. So the beast, and they worshiped the dragon, for he had given his authority to the beast, and they worshiped the beast, saying, who is like the beast, and who can fight against it? And the beast was given a mouth uttering haughty and blasphemous words, and it was allowed to exercise authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to utter blasphemies against God, blaspheming His name and His dwelling, that is, those who dwell in heaven. Why did I highlight the? Well, it's using, instead of just beast, right, and putting some capital letter on it, it's not its name, but it's using this word the, which is a definitive uh, article, and it is present in the Greek, and this means that this is a specific antichrist, a specific antichrist. So there are a lot of leaders that have risen through uh, the years that meet and fulfill some of the prophecies of the, uh, of the last days. And, and so, like, Hitler's a really great example of this, right? There were a lot of things that Hitler did, a lot of the ways that he acted that fulfilled many prophecies within this, uh, the, these end times prophecies. And so it was easy for a lot of people to think, okay, well, he's fulfilling many of these prophecies, right? So he must be the Antichrist, but he wasn't the Antichrist. And I think that, that if we just get real practical, it's easy to tell that he wasn't the, the Antichrist because he did not fulfill some of the really basic things. First of all, his war was not, his war was with the Jews, but he wasn't trying to besiege Jerusalem at the time, right? So we know that this leader is going to physically come and land and try to take over Jerusalem and is able to do it to the point where they stop animal sacrifices and they defile the temple, okay? So I think that these things are in there for us to be able to identify that just because somebody is a great orator and able to manipulate people and sway them into doing terrible things, they may be an antichrist, they may oppose the anointed one, but there is an image here of a specific antichrist coming on the scene. Also, it was allowed to make war on the saints and to conquer them, and authority was given to, and was given it over every tribe and people and language and nation, and all who dwell on earth will worship it, everyone whose name has not been written before the foundation of the world in the book of life of the Lamb who was slain. So, some type of resurrection, right? takes place. And when resurrection takes place, it has this effect on people, right? Because we cannot bring people back from the dead. So when somebody comes back from the dead, all of a sudden it has our attention. And especially those of us who are not saved, because if we are not saved, if we are secular in our mindset, then we see death as the end. And so if we can somehow conquer death, right, then we can gain some greater meaning in this life. And so if somebody shows up that conquers death, and the message is that they conquered death, then people begin to turn their head and say, okay, how did you do this? And so because they do not accept that Jesus conquered death, there will be those who will accept that this world leader conquers death. Perhaps the reason that it's so much easier for them to do is because it takes place on screens. People have their phones in their hands watching it happen, whereas with the story of Jesus, it requires faith. We have to believe the testimony of others. I don't know. Verse 9, he says here, if anyone has an ear, let him hear. 
If anyone is to be taken captive to captivity, he goes. If anyone is to be slain with the sword, with the sword must he be slain. Here is a call for the endurance and faith of the saints. This word call here in the Greek, it means to exist. Here exists this this reason for us. What is it? It is, it is, it exists the, right, endurance and faith of the saints. So a large portion of the population worships the Antichrist, okay, but we are told that we are not to worship the Antichrist. Instead, we are to have endurance and faith. It, n- notice here that what, what is not present, okay, uh, it is not present in this moment for the saints to rally up an army and create a, a hit team and go and take out the Antichrist. I, I, this is really important because, because what we are called to do is to have faith and endure. To have faith and endure. So if it's by the sword, it's by the sword. Right? If it's into captivity, it's into captivity. And so while the world is worshiping the Antichrist, right, there is a call for the saints of God to allow them to worship the Antichrist. It says, then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So this is the false prophet, okay? So the false prophet shows up on the scene And watch this. It exercises all the authority of the first beast in its presence and makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose mortal wound was healed. So this is, think about it like a spiritual leader pointing to a deity. This false prophet comes in and says, hey, you have not heard, if you have not heard about this Antichrist, about this beast, this individual, let me tell you, he once was dead, but now he lives. And you need to, you need to taste of this. You need to see this for yourself and you need to worship him. And so there is a church that is birthed in the midst of this, or perhaps is already present, that now declares that the Antichrist is their spiritual leader. And so there is somebody pointing. And this false prophet is given authority. Now think about that for a moment. Jesus, right, he's dead, he's buried, he's resurrected. Right before he ascends, he meets with those closest to him and he says, look, I'm going right to the Father. You, though, will do even greater things. Go, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. You have a responsibility to go out. You have authority, right? So the church, the saints, have the authority to themselves pray and see signs and wonders. And so here comes this new pastor on the scene, and he too has that authority. Where does he get the authority? He says, I get the authority from the Antichrist. I get the authority from the one that was dead and is now alive. Verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in front of people. And by the signs that it is allowed to work in the presence of the beast, it deceives those who dwell on earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that was wounded by the sword and yet lived. And it was allowed to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast might even speak and might cause those who would not worship the image of the beast to be slain. This is imagery that's very similar to Genesis 3, right? We get into the creation story and what do we know? That God shapes Adam out of the dust of the earth, right? What does that look like? Does that look like God's little hands coming down and like, like we would see like making a pot, right? And he's shaping it. We don't know what it looks like. What we know is, is that God is very involved in the process of making man. And then man's body lies there without breath in its lungs. And God breathes into man and man now has life. And the the, the scripture says that on top of a resurrection story, 
on top of signs and wonders and fire being called down from heaven, on top of a pastor, a false prophet that shows up and is also able to perform these signs and wonders, now an image, a body is sculpted, is manufactured that is like that of the Antichrist and breath is put into its body. And so now you've got this, this group of spiritual leaders on the earth, and they say, you've heard of one that's been resurrected, you've heard of one that signs and wonders follow, even creating life, right, becomes easier and easier for them to declare their godhood, their authority. It becomes easier and easier for a group of people who are seeing these things happen to allow their faith to be swayed towards that, and then those that resist are allowed to be slain. Now, I don't know what this image is, right? Uh, you know, for, for 2,000 years, you know, people thought, okay, what it is is it's going to be some type of statue, uh, and it's going to be given the ability to speak, right? And then TVs came along, and people thought, oh, it's going to be a, a giant television or a projector. Uh, I think perhaps it could be a clone, I think that technology continues to change, and if you wanted to have a physical body with breath in its lungs, that could be fulfilled by literally taking a DNA sample of whoever the Antichrist is, and the technology is fast approaching where they'll be able to do that. So, one of the questions that we ask in this is, why is he allowed to do signs and wonders, right? Because that's the language. The language isn't just that he uses his own authority and does signs and wonders, but no, authority is given to him to do signs and wonders. And then if that authority is given to him, right, who gives it? It's got to be God. So what does this say about God, right? If, if the God that we all want to kind of follow, right, the, the God of, of, the, of the Western church is the one that wants you to be a better you tomorrow and is really only concerned with how you can be better and happier all the time, then why in the world is that God that's always fixing everything in my life uh, going to give authority to some type of entity that's going to slay me if I don't worship it? I think we find the answer to that if we go to Deuteronomy chapter 12, beginning here in verse 32. Look at this. It says, everything that I command you, you shall be careful to do. You shall not add to it or take from it. Okay? So here's a little word of caution for us, right? So when God speaks and he says, hey, this is right and this is wrong, right? We are to be careful to take what is right and what is wrong as being decided by God, not by us. And, and this is something I know, like I... I People leave the church over uh, because I, I am one for, I believe the Bible, right? It's the sacred book. It's God's word. And so I hold to it. And if it says don't do this, I don't do that. If it says do this, I do that, right? Now, I do believe that there are customs and traditions inside of it that we very clearly are able to see that they were for a season or a time period. Jesus even speaks to some of this, right? There are parts of the Old Testament that were specifically meant for the Old Covenant where we live under the New Covenant. All of it is good for us. All of it is good for us to understand, but it is not for us to decide what is the behavior that we can live by that even if it is contrary uh, contradicts that which comes from the Lord. Go to chapter 13 of Deuteronomy. Watch this. If a prophet or a dreamer of dreams arises among you and gives you a sign or a wonder, right? So this is the same language that we saw in Revelation 13, okay? Right? Signs, wonders, a prophet. Verse 2, and the sign or wonder that he tells you comes to pass, and if he says, let us go after other gods which you have not known, and let us serve them, right? False prophet shows up, signs and wonders. Hey, you need to be worshiping this guy. This guy is the real God. That, that God that's been uh, being announced and proclaimed, uh, you know, by these quote-unquote Christians, that's not God. This is God. So, so if somebody shows up and says, you know, let us serve them, right? So he will use signs and wonders to uh, apply pressure on the nations to worship the beast, okay? Signs and wonders for what purpose? That's so that they can go, there's signs and wonders. You need to be worshiping this Antichrist. Watch this. You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you 
to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul. And so, Revelation 13, authorities being given, signs and wonders, there's a prophet pointing to another God. Why could this be happening? When we go back to Deuteronomy, it is because God is allowing the beast to have authority as a test for us. Now, maybe right now this messes with your view of God, right? But I'll remind you of this. Jesus said, when you pray, pray like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done, right? Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Why would Jesus say that it is important as believers when you pray to pray, God, lead me not into temptation, because it is the nature of God, and it is in His Word. It's not some new thing all of a sudden. God wants to test His children, right? But God wants to test us. God will allow you to walk through hardship and difficulty. God has never had a problem with His children walking through the fire. And so this idea that getting saved is going to make everything better is false. The reality is that you're going to walk through different trials and tribulations. The trials and tribulations you walked through before were just the madness of the world. The new trials and tribulations you're going to walk through are the ones that God ordains and allows to happen. He looks this dragon in the eyes and says, you can test Job, go for it. I don't care what you do, he'll never denounce me. What does he do? He brings the trials and the tribulation. So what does he say? He says that this prophet shows up, and when he does, he's got signs and wonders. He's pointing you to a different God. Why is that happening? Well, the, the Antichrist and the false prophet think that apparently they're going to somehow overthrow the kingdom of heaven, and God's on the background going, now what's going to happen is this is going to be a test to see if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your soul. He says, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear Him and keep His commandments and obey His voice and you shall serve Him and hold fast to Him. So bottom line is this, that as believers, what do we do? We serve the Lord. We are obedient unto His teachings and His ways, not ours. Listen, make no mistake, if I were God, right, and with a little minute little sliver of eternity that I have a glimpse at, no doubt I would do things differently. Thankfully, I'm not God. And God who knows all things, is in all things, sees all things, has a plan and a purpose. And so what does he say? What does this tell us? It's the same thing we saw in Revelation 13, is that you are to have faith and endure. For when the prophet comes... And point you to another God, and signs or wonders are part of it. What are you to do? Have faith. Endure. Have faith. Endure. Why? Because right now, God is shaking some things out. And so, it is, here's what I'm saying, is it is okay to go through hardship. It is okay to walk through difficult times. We do not have to freak out and think we've upset God somehow, right? I mean, is that not our go-to? Is it not our go-to that like, oh man, everything's going wrong right now. I must have upset God somehow. That's, that's what my, my German shepherd Riley does, right? Thunder, she freaks out. Like, we always joke, ooh, you've upset the gods, Riley, right? Because she's running around the house trying to hide. What can she get under? We're like, you shouldn't have done it, you know, right? Because, I mean, that's the response. It's like something bad is happening. I've got to go hide, right? But it's okay to walk through hardship. It's okay to go, okay, God, whatever you've got me walking through right now, you sit on the throne. I'm good with it because it's temporary. Eternity sits on the other side. I know your word. I know your promises. They're yes, they're amen. I'm going to get through this, whatever it is that I'm walking through. He says here in verse 5, but that prophet or that dreamer of dreams shall be put to death because he has taught rebellion against the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and redeemed you out of the house of slavery to make you leave the way in which the Lord your God commanded you to walk so you shall purge the evil from your midst. So a prophet uses signs and wonders to lead you away from your faith, right? Now somebody may go, okay, Pastor Jim, but you know, Deuteronomy, that's kind of way back there, all right? Let's look at a New Testament reference, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
Now concerning the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him, we ask you, brothers, now this is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica, okay? What is he talking about here? He says, concerning the coming of our Lord, so that's Jesus, right? Right here, showing up. So the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ and our being gathered together to him. So Jesus arriving and then the saints being brought to him. Now, this is an argument for a picture of Jesus being present at the time of the gathering. Okay, okay, verse 2. Not to be quickly shaken in mind or alarmed, either by a spirit or a spoken word or a letter seeming to be from us to the effect that the day of the Lord has come. So apparently there was a group of people out there who were claiming that Jesus had already shown back up, that everything was already underway, and that they, ha they didn't know that it had happened. And apparently there are people who are writing letters and signing them on behalf of the apostles. So you have some liars out there who are creating forgeries and trying to deceive the church. This is what he says. He says, when the day comes, Jesus will return and we will gather with him. Verse 3, let no one deceive you in any way for that day will not come unless the rebellion comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed and the son of destruction. So what is he talking about? Deuteronomy 13. A rebellion against the faith. So until the rebellion against the faith begins, we know that we're not there yet. And who is it that shows up? The man of lawlessness being revealed, the son of destruction. That's the Antichrist. Okay? So what he's saying is, is this is not going to be a gotcha moment. You're not going to miss it, right? I don't know if you were like me. Like, like there were times where I, I would wake up as a child, like being in church, hearing the book of Revelation. I'd wake up and think, oh, no, the rapture happened. I got left, you know, and, and I'd be freaking out. This is not what it looks like, okay? It's not a big gotcha. God playing a trick on you and took everybody and left you here, okay? Now, Jesus does not return and gather the saints until the Antichrist shows up. This is the language that Paul's using. He says, Concerning Jesus and the gathering of the saints, first, first, there's a rebellion against the faith, and the Antichrist shows up on the scene. Now skip down to verse 9. The coming of the lawless one is by the activity of Satan with all power and false signs and wonders, and with all wicked deception for those who are perishing because they refuse to love the truth and so be saved. So, the people that buy into these signs and wonders that follow the false prophet and the Antichrist are the ones that refused to accept Jesus as Lord of their life. They refused to accept him. Therefore, God sends them a strong delusion. Now, this is really important, okay? Because how is it that this Antichrist, the false prophet, and Jesus could be showing up on the scene and people not be going like, oh, I totally know what's going on, right? It is because there is a delusion or there is confusion. People do not understand what is happening. In order that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God allows there to be some type of delusion, some type of confusion. Why? He's testing the saints at this point. Okay? Can people come to know the Lord? I don't see any reason why they can't. But the purpose of that last tribulation is not to win all these people to the Lord. It is to test the saints, those that claim to be believers, and to separate those who what? did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. So God walks them through hardship as a test. Now, how could people be deceived? All right, I'm going to give you one way that people could be deceived. And I think this is probably one of the most prolific ways uh, that it can happen and probably will happen. And... Uh, 
I just want to give you a, a, a small comparison now. I am not a, I'm not, I'm, no, total confession here. I'm not a scholar on Islam, but I want to share with you a few thoughts here. So there is a collection of writings called the Hadith. Uh, these are based on traditions that were, that were supposedly given orally by Muhammad, right? So while he was alive, he would say things. And then when he died in 632 AD, following that, people began to say, well, when I was around uh, Muhammad, he once said this, right? And so they would write those things down. And that, is, that collection of writings is the Hadith. Now, inside of that, uh, we see, now this is not in the Quran, okay, this is outside of it, this is where we get, uh, or where Islam gets its last day's prophetic uh, teaching, okay? In it, they have a player that will show up on the scene, he is called the Mahdi, okay? He comes on a white horse using scriptures that he finds near the Sea of Galilee to show the error of Christianity. He will go with his army to Jerusalem where he will establish his rule on the Temple Mount. Now, I'm going to make the argument that to the Christian church, he is the Antichrist, but to Islam, this leader that comes in and besieges Jerusalem is going to be known as the Mahdi, he is praised and reigns for seven years, according to the Hadith. In fact, it even quotes Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. In one of them, it says, Now I watched when the Lamb opened one of the seven seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures say with a voice like thunder, Come, and I looked, and behold, a white horse and its rider had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he came out conquering and to conquer, claiming that the Mahdi will come in on a white horse, and that he will, while he is establishing his reign, he will be met by the prophet Jesus, right? So, it is literally the same Jesus that we find in the scriptures, okay? The thing that the Hadith argues is that Jesus did not die on the cross, but that Allah made it look like he did as a deception and a test for everyone, but instead he hid Jesus' body so that Jesus could then come back and actually proclaim, I never actually died on the cross. And so, in Islam, they believe, right, that Jesus was a real prophet of God, but he was not God in the flesh, and he never died. And because he never died, and it is appointed unto man once to die, even by their faith, Jesus has to show up on the scene and die. And so Jesus is the great prophet for the Mahdi. Together, they destroy the Al-Masai Al-Dajjal, who has effectively won the hearts of many Jews. So, who is the Dajjal? Well, the Dajjal is one that comes and uh, begins to win the hearts of Jews. Now, we know inside of the text that during this time of tribulation and the persecution of the Antichrist that many Jews will flee and hide in a place called Petra. Inside of that hiding, many of them will become saved. They will know Jesus as the Messiah. And so inside of these hadith, they teach that the Dajjal will show up. He is a deceiver. And during his reign, his uh, attempt to rule, there will be three years of severe famine. And together, after killing the Dajjal, the Mahdi and Jesus, uh, they will eradicate Christianity. All right, and this will be their goal is to uh, basically convert people who are Christians over to the faith of Islam or they will have to pay the price. Now, the prophet Jesus requires a mark be taken by all as a vow of loyalty to the Mahdi. So Jesus, while he is praying behind the Mahdi and lifting the Mahdi up in worship, has an idea that anyone that has declared Mahdi to be God, that they will worship him, 
should take a mark, that mark should be on their head or their right hand, and that it will declare the Mahdi as Lord of their lives, and that if they don't take that mark, then they will not have the ability to buy, sell, or trade. Now, let's go back to Revelation 13, verse 16. And I want you to look at this. It says, also it causes all, both small and great, both rich and poor, both free and slave, to be marked on the right hand or the forehead. So I, I put the Illuminati sign up here, right? Because I think that any attempt to figure out what the mark of the beast is, is about as silly as the uh, Illuminati, okay? And if the Illuminati is real, then whatever. I still think it's silly, right? Okay, uh, Whatever this is, right, whatever this mark is, and I, I got to tell you, like, the more that I study this, like, I, absolutely, could it be some microchip or some, like, thing that, you know, that, that computer sequencing or DNA change? It could be any of those things, guys, but it could be literally a cloth over your head or over your hand, right? Okay, why do I say that? Why do I say it could be so simple? You see, at the end of the day, the, prophet, the false prophet does not care who you are because he is not a respecter of persons. This is why it says, rich or poor, slave or free, it doesn't matter. The idea that this individual has is that you will either worship the Mahdi or you will die. Full stop. I don't care what your societal position is. I don't care if you're a famous movie star or you've got a... a 200 million followers on Instagram. I do not care. You will take the mark or you will face death. You'll be subjugated to this antichrist, to this person that is claiming to be God, or else you will die. Now, I'm not going to lie to you. I'm going to tell you something that I, I firmly believe. I believe that, and, and I'm going to lay some of this out next week, but I, this, is a, this is a Middle East war. This is not a United States war, okay? I, this, the, the, the Battle of Armageddon, we know where the field for Megiddo is. We know some of the territories. This is taking place on the other side of the planet. I believe full, fully that we will experience all of the hardships and turmoils of devastation, people dying, water turning to blood and being undrinkable, uh, livestock dying off, fish dying off, birds dying off. We will have to walk through all of that. And I will not argue that there is a fair chance that even the mark makes its way here because there's global dominion. But I am going to tell you, I think that the level of, uh, of persecution will be much higher in the Middle East. I think all attention is on Israel and controlling Israel. Israel is the center, the geographical location, the promised land from the beginning for uh, God's people. Uh, when New Jerusalem is set up, it is not going to be set up on top of New York City or Chicago or Los Angeles. It is going to be in the, where the Temple Mount is in Israel. And so the, the major location for this play out for these people is going to be on the other side of the planet. And so I, I, I think that there are going to be a lot of things that just don't look exactly the same for us. And that's, that's okay, Right. That's okay. Now, I do think that when war happens, what do we do? We load our soldiers up and we fly them over there. So I think we will have our people engaged in conflict. But I, I don't think the bulk of the conflict will be happening uh, in this hemisphere. Watch this, verse 17. So that no one can buy or sell unless he has the mark, that is, the name of the beast or the number of its name. This calls for wisdom, right? Now, I, I got to tell you that one of the greatest pieces of advice that has ever been given to me is slow down, right? If you want wisdom, if you want to, to, to act wise, slow down. Don't just jump into every little hole that's presented and run at every, uh, uh, you know, opportunity that comes your way. Slow down. Think through things. And if we'll do the same thing, if we'll operate with wisdom, if we'll slow down as we look at the text, there are some things that are there that I think are oftentimes overlooked. It says, let the one who has understanding calculate the number of the beast, for it is the number of a man, and his number is 666. So I'm going to end with this. Just a few thoughts. The mark is not implemented until three and a half years of tribulation have passed. 
right? So the mark of the beast is not a vaccine that's being offered right now. The mark of the beast is not a microchip to put in your hand right now. It's not your cell phone, right? Okay. The mark of the beast. Any of these things could be precursors. Technology being developed, whatever the mark looks like, absolutely. Okay. But there are a few things that are said right here that are really important for us to understand. This is taking place at the halfway point of the tribulation. And the scripture says we will know when the tribulation begins. The Antichrist will reveal himself. There will be seven years of peace. We will, any saints that are here, okay, maybe if you're pre-tribulation, you're gone, okay? Those that are not pre-tribulation might be here. They'll see what's going on, right? Okay? So you're going to know that it's the beast. The invasion of Jerusalem happens first. So the Jerusalem is under siege. The Temple Mount has been desolated. That has taken place. There will be grave persecution of believers meant to eradicate them, right? The goal will be to kill off anybody who still believes that Jesus is Lord, that God is uh, his Father. The Antichrist has authority over the entirety of, of earth. So every nation has subjugated its authority over, right? Now, can there be precursors for that? Guys, we could be under some type of one world government for 100 years before the Antichrist shows up, right? We could be at 90% one world government. We could have 20 nations that hold out and say, I won't do it. And the rest of the nations of the world are leading the way. All those things could happen. And it could be a very long time before the Antichrist shows up. It also could happen like that. It could all be happening right here, right now. This is really important. It is open, conscious worship of the Antichrist. You are not going to be tricked into taking the mark of the beast. Because it says that the mark is for those who worship the Antichrist. Take the mark, worship the Antichrist. Refuse the mark, refuse to worship the Antichrist, right? Then there's a consequence for that. And what does it say? It says that endurance and faith are what is needed, not resistance. And so what does that endurance and that faith look like? That endurance and that faith probably looks like, hey, listen... There's somebody coming around to put this mark on you. We've identified what it is because it's you pledging loyalty to this leader. And if you'll pledge your allegiance to this leader, then you're good to go. And if you don't, there's the consequences death. That requires endurance and faith, right? Faith being like, okay, I'm going to trust that God is going to be with me and I'm going to endure whatever comes my way. We refuse the mark because we worship Jesus. He is Emmanuel, God with us. So at the end of the day, and, and you are welcome to have a hundred different views on what the mark looks like, except for, except for this. You cannot think that somehow it sneaks up and gets you in the middle of the night. We have to be able to rationally, with wisdom, look at the text and say, Jesus is king. I worship Jesus as king. I refuse all other gods. And nobody's going, to, nobody's going to trick me to where tomorrow I go, oh my goodness, I guess I don't worship Jesus anymore. We will make a conscious decision. And there will be those who will be tested and will say, no, this is just way too much. Or maybe more classically, they'll say, I refuse to believe in a God that. I refuse to serve a God that. I refuse to, to be subjugated to a God that would allow people to go through this. I don't believe in that God. And God says, I, I'm, he, there is a test that comes, right? And what is required to pass the test? Endurance and faith. And so it is perfectly fine to walk through a difficult season. And I will tell you, there will be a delusion, there will be a confusion, and there will be people who are claiming that the Antichrist is not the Antichrist. There will be people who are claiming the false prophet is not the false prophet. And there will be some type of divide happening around the world before we ever even get to the mark of the beast. People will be choosing sides. And whatever this peace looks like that he comes in with, it will be short-lived. It says that there will be a, a, just an absolute hatred and rage that he begins to operate in once we get to that three and a half year mark. After the attempted assassination and the resurrection, Israel now, the Jews, are in protection. What, what does he do? He turns all of his wrath onto the followers of Christ.
It is the Christians who he will come after with, with, with everything that he's got. And what will that be? It will be ultimately to see if we will back down or if we will have endurance and faith. And that's what we've got to have. Guys, when you're walking through a difficult season, have faith, have endurance. God is with you. God is with you. And the world is watching. Will you believe even when it's not going the way that you want it to go? Let's stand to our feet as we close. The reason that we decided to do this series, and, and we've taught on end times before at the church, but specifically is because when we uh, as a church got to the end of 2019, COVID hit and we started having protests and riots and racial tensions were reaching high points and we have uh, activist groups that are pushing to change the content that we even present to our kids. Our schools are changing what they're teaching to children. And people were calling me constantly saying, like, you know, do you think this is it? Do you think we're, we're at the end? And, uh, you know, I, I can't tell you where we're at in the timeline. I just, I want to be honest. Like, I, I, I listen... I listen to a lot of the same probably people that you listen to, and I know a lot of pastors are saying, I firmly believe this is it. But I just, I just remember my granddad who loved the Lord telling me that he knew it was the end and he was, he was going to fight the final battle and then he still had 40 years of life, 40 plus years. He died at 72, right? And, and he, if he had allowed that that thing that consumed their minds during the war to continue to consume him for the rest of his life, he would have never been able to do anything for the kingdom of heaven. And I, I, sure, I, I think that we are definitely closer today than we were yesterday. Math is on my side with that, okay? <laughs> That's a prophetic truth. Do I think that the world is in a bad place? I do. I think the world's in a bad place. And there will be many antichrists. And we could have an antichrist that shows up on the scene that does not fulfill all of the prophecies and does, brings devastation to the world once again. And then we can somehow get back on our feet and continue to move. Because I'm going to tell you this, it will not happen. The antichrist will not be given authority and be released until the rebellion in heaven takes place where that one last battle where the deceiver and his followers try to wage a political war and they are cast down and filled with anger and then authority is given for the Antichrist to rise up. That won't happen until God decides, right? And until then, guys, the thing that we need to be doing is we need to be loving the Lord and we need to be walking with faith and endurance. We need to have faith and endurance, faith in the word, it's the truth, it, it, it resonates and it leads and it guides me in every facet of my life. And even when it's not comfortable and even when the world around me says, well, surely God wouldn't say that or do that. Well, he has said it and he has done it. And so he knows more than I know. So I'm going to trust him and I'm going to walk it out. That's what we've got to do between now and then. And maybe it's our children, our grandchildren, our great-grandchildren that one day face off with the antichrist and have to walk through that final season that final the end of the age uh we have to do our part to prepare them and not just be living under a rock amen amen, amen. let's pray father we love you thank you for your mercy your grace thank you for your word thank you for being with us for strengthening us lord i'm so thankful for the seasons we have when things are easy and fun, and life is good, Lord, I pray that we would not lose sight when we walk through difficult seasons, that when hardship comes, we would remember that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever, that in the midst of, uh, of, of turmoil, and in the midst of tribulation, you are on the throne, that Jesus is returning soon, and that our hearts belong to you. We love you and we praise you in your mighty name. Amen. Hey, listen, before you go, if you need prayer, if you're sick in body, if you are going through a difficult time uh, and you want prayer, our prayer ministry teams are in the back. 
uh, they are ready to pray with you. The scripture says when you are sick in body, when you're in need, go to the elders of the church, allow them to lay hands on you, to pray with you. Don't miss an opportunity like that. Uh, if you want to be obedient to the word, right, then when you're walking through it, let people be in prayer with you. Uh, if you do not know Jesus as Lord of your life, you, you need to make that decision, right? You need the evidence, the case, it's all being laid out before you. This is between you and the Holy Spirit. But if you want to know Jesus as Lord of your life, we would love to pray that prayer with you and tell you more about that. Uh, next week, we'll wrap this up, and then we'll move into some more lighthearted stuff in 2 Corinthians following that. We love you guys. I pray that you have an amazing week. And as always, go change your world. We'll see you next Sunday. Breathe you in, I lean into you.